I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of The Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. Hi, everyone. I hope all is well and that you're having a lovely spring season. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Ade O, an Afro-surrealist, animist, and multimedia healing artist. Their creative fire is nourished by earth-based textile crafts, sound arts, experimental and abstract visual arts, nature writing, poetry, capoeira, Angola, good food, healing herbs, river time, belly laughter, money, healthy relationships, and peaceful rest. They are a returning generation slow craft artisan and in 2014 made a lifelong commitment to cloth and tapestry weaving. In 2020, they founded their textile farm and production studio, which is currently incubating on collective land. They work with land and sky to grow and process plant-based fibers and dyes for the people. And at GIST, we are extremely lucky to have the opportunity to support them as one of our artists and residents of 2022, as well as a guest on the podcast this week. Hey, Ade. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hello, LaShawn. This is my very first podcast. So shout out for being a first in my life. Thank you for inviting me. Very happy to be here. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to talk to you about your overall artistic practice, as well as the residency that you've completed at GIST. It's been amazing to experience your spirit and your wisdom and just the collective group that we had for the first round of the residency. And I'm just, you know, super excited to kind of close out last year with you. So can you start out by telling us a bit about your background and where you're from? Yes, I want to first take a moment to just say hello to the future listeners to this. Peace be with you and all of your relations. Same to you, LaShawn. And shout out to all of the Black crafters, known and unknown and to be known, that have really inspired me, guided me down this particular path right now. So just real quick, weavers that I love, Diedrich Bracken, Stephen Hamilton, um, Shaniqua Brooks, Karen Hampton, and then also a whole lineage, like a whole gaggle of Black poets and writers, just Black creators who... Um, really inspire and help activate my imagination um, into, you know, the creative person that I am today and that I'm becoming. So shout out to the present, past and future of um, just Black and African diaspora makers. Y'all are amazing. And I'm grateful to be in this community. So, you know, I am someone that does... Um, my mind almost sometimes goes blank when I'm asked where I'm from. And I recently, when I was thinking about how do I answer this question in a way that feels just grounded with my experience right now, I'm going to say that 
My background is imagine like a lush and evergreen oceanic background. And that I recently watched a YouTube video featuring Taye Selassie. And she was basically talking about being that her experience is where she's from. And that is something I deeply resonated with thinking about my identity beyond the logic of the state and privileging the cultures that I've grown up with over the countries, especially being someone that believes that borders are a myth. And so she talks about being multi-local and I um, relate to that as well. So, you know, I grew up in PG in Montgomery County, Maryland, shout out to the DMV. Um, but, you know, my people are Yoruba people in an area that is so-called Nigeria. And I've had a kind of dynamic class experience sort of across the spectrum of working class Black folks. Um, so that's kind of where I am meeting you today. I'm currently a local to the central North Carolina Piedmont region. And this has been a sweet space that has, I would say I'm growing up here. I didn't spend my youth here, but even as adults, we still be growing up. So, right. <laughs> yeah. For So for these last kind of decade plus of my life, this area is where I've grown up and it's been a very sweet experience so far. I had no idea you were from the DMV too. Did you know that I was from the DMV area? Say what? No, I didn't. Yes. I'm from what? PG. Oh, what? <laughs> I don't oh know how gosh. we did how we didn't um draw that connection. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I was born in DC and but I grew up mainly in PG County. Um oh so God. that was my whole life until I moved to New York for college. So yeah, my experience growing up in the DV, in the DV, <laughs> in the DMV <laughs> was dynamic. I never, I honestly have never, my, I'm like the first generation of children born in the States to my Yoruba parents. So this question of like where you're from has always been this liminal space that, yeah, I've struggled to define fine but I definitely I think moving out of that area started to develop more of a, an appreciation just for like yeah the metropolitanness of it growing up in like an urban scape you're just exposed to so much and I just feel like it being you know right like the capital of the U.S. there's just always a lot happening politically economically in that hot spot of an area. Mm -hmm. um, and so I definitely feel like I had a rich childhood because of where I grew up and how dynamic the like social landscape was. Even though I wasn't a kid traveling around the world, I was like meeting the world, you know, there. And I love that, you know? Yeah, but that's that's amazing. Or it's interesting to hear you talk about just, again, this sort of connection to 
lineage and you know space and and how you you as an artist are a combination of many different things and experiences and so Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you know you can talk about maybe what was your first interaction with art or how did you begin on this path to becoming the artist that you described yourself as growing into Yes, it has been an errant road, definitely not linear and not straightforward. I feel like I have, I'm I'm definitely staunchly a multimedia creator. Mm. I Like you will never put me in a box. Okay, nobody put me in a box. There was a time where I was like, oh, I need to choose the thing that I'm good at. Um, But then I started to connect to my multidimensionality as a gift that I wanted to learn how to accept about myself, that I'm just activated and inspired and motivated by so many different things. And my journey was going to be figuring out how they interrelated and kind of yeah to bring more of this weaving language into the space yeah how they all were going to be integrated into my way of expressing so best to say that one of the things that has been part of my journey was when I was working more heavily in reproductive justice space as a birth and death doula and I've had the gift of being invited into over 15 families birthing journeys and have witnessed so many beautiful humans be born in all sorts of ways and different spaces. And, you know, just to like really truly answer that question, I think from the jump, getting me and my mom collaborating to get me out of her body was a creative moment. Um, Yeah, so I would start there just from jump, from birth. And I think I grew up with parents who, you know, really put heavy value and um, on focusing on education and not as, and this is something I want to shout out the other cohort folks that I was with, Ksenia, Malvinia, um, uh, Sobia. Um, and I, I remember listening to Sobia's interview and she was talking, I think she was talking about how her immigrant parents were like wanting her to pursue, you know, these more serious careers that was not necessarily art careers. And I think that might be a shared experience for immigrant children um, living in Western worlds. But yeah, I grew up with folks who were like serious education art is just kind of this frivolous hobby that might be great on your college application but (laughs) not like a serious pursuit but my spirit was always like wanting to make room for my creativity I've never been a great student you know I got by but I never felt like the the status quo educational system ever met my needs as a learner or a student I just I feel like I just kind of fell in this void where I was getting by but wasn't really feeling deeply 
interested in what I was learning. And I feel like my educational journey, the, the part of it that I've enjoyed the most has been outside of formal school settings and really like living in the world and connecting to people, connecting to the earth, connecting to these different Black, African, diasporic healing and art traditions. So throughout my time, you know, being forced to kind of participate in this formal education, I was always finding little like spots for me to express creatively. A major fan of doodling. I take my doodle archive very seriously. Like <laughs> it's one of those things that will be in my will when I die. Like where do all my doodles go? Mm. Um, and yeah, even through, I did decide, actually, I don't know if this was my decision, but I did make the decision to go to college because not everyone can. And I don't necessarily think you have to, depending on what your life's path is, but it is a really formative experience. And so I did the college thing and I made like, if you know me today and guess try to guess what my major was, you would not guess it because <laughs> um it was so it was such a plastic I don't know if plastic is the right word, but yeah, I majored in economics, which you know, I'm it's interesting I'm coming back around to economics, but from a more like um socialist, eco-socialist like solidarity economy in the commons, not so much capitalism, economics, even though that's what I was learning. But even while I was getting my economics degree, any other chance I got, I was really kicking it with the art kids. Like, I feel like that is the space where I really started to develop my creative sense and just being around folks whose whole college career was dedicated to making art just felt very, I was both envious and you know, noticing like, oh, I'm I'm so pulled towards this. Like, why do I keep holding back? And so, you know, I think for a long time, being an artist and a creator has been like not the center of how I live my life. But I feel like my spirit is crying out for some changes. So I'm I'm definitely in this transitional life era where I'm wanting to give myself a chance to center my identity as an artist more. So I think there's always been this seed inside me that due to the social pressures that I felt like I was receiving from my parents to be a certain way, from society to be a certain way, from the pressures of capitalism that really devalue art and creation where it makes it really hard to feel like you can make a living wage and sustain a life or multiple lives on just craft. So for different reasons, it's been in my life, but not the center point. And I think I'm, yeah, I reached a time where I'm like, well, actually being an artist is who I am. And how do I kind of restructure my life and routines to really honor that and like see what's possible when I center that 
It's interesting to hear you talk about your previous background in education or excuse me, in economics um, Mm -hmm. and also how you're kind of walking into this new space as an artist. Because when I think about you, like meeting you for the first time, also reading your application and just seeing other works that you've made, I felt like you were very centered as as an artist. Mm, Uh, There's another way to say that, but um, I feel like even the way you speak, you speak with so much intention. And I feel like every conversation I've had with you, there's always this quality about it that feels very rich and artful and like almost whimsical. So Mm, it's interesting to hear you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting to to learn of like where you come from and also to hear how your background is also maybe somewhat creeping up in a way or or you're learning or grabbing things from, you know, these previous experiences and learning how to use them in this, you know, very new and interesting way. I'm curious if that feeds into the multidisciplinary aspect of your work. Yeah. Okay, rabbit hole. We're gonna have to cut rabbit hole. It's gonna be a short rabbit hole, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I wanted to share. I'm when I saw this question, I was so happy you're asking it because I was like, how would I describe this in a way that protects the expansiveness that I feel? And I recently went to an exhibit at the Nasher, and it's called Spirit in the Land. You could probably see some of the works online, um, but I was so happy. It kind of opened at this really beautiful, serendipitous time. But one of the one of the installations there is from um, the Sea Islands photo series um, created by the Carrie Mae Weems. I feel like I have to put the before her name. Absolutely. Um, and, and a stunning installation. I mean, all sorts of things came out of that for me. But you know how they have the little description by the artwork and the gallery. So they kind of started hers out with this quote that I feel like encapsulates how I feel. So um, she says, I am nature imagining I'm sorry she says I am nature imaging the natural world try as we might we cannot separate ourselves from the very thing that we are and so yeah I feel that very much that I very much follow whatever my creative instincts desires like I let it lead and definitely see my creative spirit and creativity as a being in and of itself that yeah I get to play with and get to know and feel stretched by well let me speak to sound and textile so right now I would say that sound and textile art are sort of the main focus areas of where I've been creating lately. What I love about them both, specifically when I say textile arts, I mean, right now, weaving. Um, And what I love about them 
both. What I feel like they have in common is that they are these multi-dimensional experiences where I was just looking up the definition, a definition for weave. And there's like multiple ways to describe what exactly a weave is. But the one that I think I love the most that brings that language of sound into it is that to weave is to compose a connected whole by combining various elements or details. And I feel like that has been part of my kind of thesis or lifetime exploration is like how to the challenge of kind of pulling together these multitudes of inspiration and um, ideas and, you know, warping it into something that I can make a little bit more sense of. And, you know, weaving has always been this metaphor for through all sorts of languages for a like cosmic reality like we use weaving and all of the different words connected to that craft to describe life to describe you know society and relationships and words like tapestry are often used to describe communities of different people and so the way I feel about the kind of expansive poetic um, experience that I get from weaving, like I also experience that in being a sound artist and a producer that kind of working with vibration and frequency and um, composing it in a way that um, creates an experience and I love that pursuit of making sense of nonsense and maybe unmaking sense of sense. You know, it can get very metaphysical in my world. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I think that as a multimedia creator, um, I'm working in that sort of to take a word from like thermodynamics, like entropy, which is like, if you think about um, heat and fire, entropy is like that, un that like chaos, the randomness and the, the uncontrollable things that is kind of like the thrust behind life. Mm. So I love, I love kind of, um, working with chaos to not necessarily to subdue it or to control it just to um bring it into the sort of fractal focus and i feel like sound is a great medium for doing that and and weaving has been as well i don't know did i answer your question i have other thoughts about that <laughs> i think you did i mean if if you will allow, would love to link to some of your work so people can see it and and yes understand what you mean. But yeah. I definitely would say that I understand what you mean in the sense that 
from the works that I saw, you use natural sounds and like elements and just from different spaces, but they're abstracted in a way. So it's like, uh, maybe yeah. it's the sound that's familiar, but I don't know exactly what it is, but it sounds like something different in this context. Yes. And so I understand with, you know, how you're describing your work and, you know, I think it's great. And it's also interesting to think about that as it pertains to weaving. Um, It kind of makes me think about the conversation that all five of us had last summer when we did our virtual retreat about weaving and computers. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, even just now, like the fact that computers are based off of a weaving sequence, it can be like a literal rabbit hole. We could talk about it in so many ways. But I mean, one of the things that I think about that I'm always exploring is indigeneity Mm -hmm. and all of the ways that I'm doing things now that people were doing so long ago. Yes. Yeah worked so well and we're so brilliant and we have so many things now so so much access to so many things but it's I'm not sure that a lot of the things that I see are actual improvements yeah as as new as sometimes this practice feels to me in the scheme of time you know I really picked up the craft of weaving seriously about six years ago. There was this intro to weaving course at, um, yeah, this art center in the area that I went to with a friend who was also a weaving enthusiast. And we were like, oh, let's go. And so we went and I was like, oh, I'm in it. Um, this is, this is my fiber craft of choice. Um, because I also realized that Yoruba people, we're weavers, you know, we're weavers. And so this kind of latent um, attraction was instantly piqued because it felt so familiar to my blood, to my spirit. And, you know, the context of me um, coming into this craft is different in that um, at this time, I'm not reliant on weaving as like my economic stability. Um, And I also am not weaving under, um, you know, as an enslaved African, I'm not weaving to dress my family. So my encounter with this craft has been initiated from a deep pleasure and reverence and curiosity about you know, different ways to be in ancestral reverence and um, learn about myself and who we who we are. I think that um, a lot gets lost, obviously, through forced migration. So, yeah, I think growing up with parents who are freshly from the motherland, I'm just encountering my ancestral um lineage and culture differently from a black person whose family has been in the States for generations. Um, But, you know, either way, my people are weavers. And so I think that 
um, connecting to ancestral craft is what connects me to my indigeneity. Um, even as I wrestle with like just how complex the, just how much settler colonization has um, displaced indigenous people on Turtle Island. And that's, I think, where I really stretch myself to center and honor my relationship to the land, which, and Earth's kind of natural resources, which I think is a value that indigenous people around the planet move from. And that is, you know, uh, an orientation that drives my world and my my worldview it brings me to think about again another part of your practice which is agriculture uh, farming and textiles at some point especially as I you know was just being more politicized in my thought and intellect um and especially around abolition, Black liberation movements, indigenous rights movements, um, ecological justice, like just been deeply formed by the intellectual and cultural imprint and legacies of all the peoples involved in those present day and um, waves of transformation but I feel like through my experience of being politicized I definitely as an artist which you know I think there's a way to be an artist and not be politicized um, but I'm really interested in what is the material kind of social impact of what I'm creating and really being um, engaged, curious and active around these questions of like, um, what am I making? How am I making it? How does this kind of relate to me, what I'm of and where I'm trying to go? And um, I feel like that is where things can get very interesting <laughs> because I feel like once you start asking questions about the origins of things, um, more, th more uh, questions rise to the surface. So as a creator kind of working across different mediums, I just naturally started to get curious about where my material sort of supplies was coming from and the more I learned about this sort of broader global movement that around really pushing back against polluting industries especially the textile industry I think Fibershed as an organization has done a really good job of raising this issue to the surface and I also feel like this question of 
where our materials come from has always been a consideration for our ancestors. And the more I was connecting to earth-based cultural practices, the more I felt like in awe of what the earth makes possible. Um, I was doing food farming for a long time, just as a farm worker on different people's farms, growing the most delicious food with Black folks, with folks across the people of color spectrum, with Indigenous folks. And I think my interest in like getting to know what else the earth made possible just kept growing. Um, so that there was just this kind of like, how would I describe it? I don't know. It was one of these things that maybe like came in a dream or just suddenly emerged. I was like, oh, we can grow fibers, like not only food, like there's a history of people really working with the earth to not only feed themselves, but clothe themselves to kind of for like making different containers and just living a life so deeply entrenched in what's made possible with the materials growing locally just really drew me in. Um, and also I feel like was a way that I was able to ground what I was learning kind of politically in like a material way to shift my practice and really push myself to divest from a fossil fuel industry in how I create as much as I could. I mean, I'm not perfect. And I feel like there's a way that plastic has become so entrenched in our daily lives. It is very hard to extract. Um, but it's a worthy pursuit for me, especially being, I think, like holding this identity of as an artist, like, I do get to experiment with what's possible and how it's being created. And so taking liberties to channel, like what would it take to really replace the ratio of fossil fuels in my craft, like to transition that into materials that are, you know, more ecologically aligned. So that was, you know, a, there's a lot of answers in there, but I hope you're able to pull something out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I can definitely relate. It sounds like you're describing that you found yourself in the space to do the work as opposed to you sought it out. It was kind of something very organic, which I think is probably the best way to find yourself in yeah. the beginning of a journey. And I think... Most people who end up working in, in agriculture or in collaboration with nature tend to find themselves there that way. Because I think that it, it almost requires that for many, many reasons. I mean, there's spiritual reasons. And then there's also just, for me personally, there was a, a naivety, if that's not mm -hmm. that's how you say it properly. But, you know, I was super naive 
Um, and, and not being naive isn't necessarily a bad thing and I'm not using it as a negative trait, but you just don't, yeah. you just don't know. Um, yeah. I had no real reference for how much physical work it was going to take. take. Um, but I'm in it and I'm doing it. And, and you know what? <laughs> yes. I think that's the interesting part is, you know, the, the, the part of actually, because there's wild fibers growing everywhere. I think part of what makes agriculture agriculture is that it is um, sort of forcing the earth to grow in a way that it wouldn't naturally. But so I would, I would differentiate agriculture from just like things in the wild. And so there's like the practice of just learning the landscape for what it is and what's growing there and working with that and then purposefully cultivating certain plants to meet some kind of consumption need. So I have been pleasantly surprised because I feel like growing fibers is relatively simple the growing of it mm -hmm. and the like the labor really comes after you harvest which I feel like is kind of the other way with food yeah um which is you need a lot of inputs to to grow the food and then once it's grown you know for the most part you can eat a lot of staple items raw if you want to or whip them up but yeah, I would say that the the kind of labor that comes after you harvest is what I've been so in marvel around and challenged by and humbled by as well, for sure. It's similar to anyone that maybe is new in their food or farming journey and learn like you know, a food that they're used to eating, like learn what it looks like as a vegetable. And they're like, what? That's a vegetable? And like that vegetable turns into that. Um, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, that was my experience when I first started to learn the seed to cloth cycle of like, say what? You can grow flax. Like remembering just, I think really finding joy and remembering those first exposures and like the whole world that it opens up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think when I first learned, okay, you can grow flax and then process it. And then actually going through the motions of like rotting it and then letting that dry and then breaking it and then learning how to spin it. Like each step is a craft in and of itself. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I've honestly, what I am not so, this is something I've been saying to myself recently, because sometimes I do feel this pressure to be really good at something or prove myself to some external force to be worthy of whatever the fuck. Um, and what I think matters to me coming back to what matters to me is not perfection, but expression. Okay, that's a quote, okay? <laughs> um, and it just brought me a lot of peace in that I get to take my time and really relating to this process and this um, circularity 
of earth-based practice that that takes time and I want to take my time. And I think this is why I am so committed to um, craft. And I think I definitely am an artist, but I, I also want to be able to see myself as a crafts person. Um, and not in like the frivolous art and crafts way that they be selling to us at Michael's arts and craft store, but like, um, and you know, Michael's is not sponsoring this podcast and no shade to Michael's, um, <laughs> or any hobbyist out there. But I think the word craft, what it, um, what it activates for me is this permission to go slow and I cherish that. And that is what I will always protect in my creative endeavors that what makes craft craft is that it needs to go slowly. And um, yeah, there's something about, you know, that's common across farming in general, unless you're using GMO pesticides and all that sort of stuff, like things are going to grow when they grow. And you kind of plan your life around these natural rhythms. And I'm, I'm into that. I think in my sort of practice of figuring out how to decapitalize my life, I'm into going at a slower pace. And, you know, with all of this ecological breakdown happening, I think that is the call for or invitation for all of us to figure out what that looks like in our lives. And yeah, it's almost like we're, we're not going slow enough. Like we need to go slow faster than we're going slow, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is um, a very odd paradoxical thing to say, but. It's um, so true though. Yeah. We need yeah. to go faster. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially as it pertains to, you know, our global issue with consumption and yeah. waste, you know, it's like we have the knowledge, we know a few of the ways that we can fix it. So it's like we should, you know, when we think about how quickly the fast fashion industry took off, um we should be able to undo it you know right yeah in a timely manner (laughs) yeah that's very wild yeah but it's it's good to hear you talk about um craft and slow making because it reminded me of your project for the residency yeah I I remember you pronouncing the name, but I don't want to pronounce it wrong. <laughs> I would love if you would pronounce the name and then just also talk about the project that you worked on as a resident. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What a fun time, y'all. Um, truly, truly, truly. Very grateful to have found out about it and applied and y'all say yes. And yeah, I had such a good time and I also want to quickly shout out Keisha Cameron hello um, who's in your current cohort and 
such a dear sweetheart in my life. So I'm going to pause gushing about you right now, but yes, very happy to see you in the next cohort. Um, so the space that I was holding for my residency was called DADA. And DADA is the name of my textile farm and production studio practice. And so the vision was really to hold a slow weaving learning space for a handful of people that signed up. And um, I think in terms of how this residency kind of created space for me to stretch my own skill and capacity around being an educator, it, it was time for me to also think about how I think about weaving as a cultural practice, as a craft um, practice, as a way to connect to our bodies. So it was really centered on me being in the process of developing a pedagogy of weaving that centers our embodiment. Um, and I feel like that is definitely a value that I carry with me in all dimensions of my life. You know, going slow enough to notice how I feel, to notice my surroundings, to practice a kind of presence. And so it was a five week experience together where I worked with um, Rebecca Mezoff's tapestry weaving book that is really great and use that as one of our like literature guides. And so made those copper looms for everyone. And then we just spent five weeks working on people's first little tapestry piece. And I had a blast. I mean, my intention was to insert this sort of fun, but mindful and healing energy into the practice of weaving. So we kind of went through an intro to tapestry weaving and then I shared some basics that have been helpful for me in developing as a weaver and then really invited folks to sort of decide and work with their intuition around what they wanted to create by the end of the five weeks. Um, and the beautiful thing is that not everybody finished their weave or they finished it after. But my uh, intention was to collect people's tapestries that they wanted to share and then weave those pieces into a larger tapestry piece. So that is what I'm in the process of integrating right now. And because of this um, residency, I was also able to afford to get my first floor loom. So that's been a really sweet growing edge for me as well, because there's the act of weaving, which is really specific. It's like weaving is this particular textile structure that relies on a warp and a weft, which makes it what it is. But the way weaving is done and across the world is can be really different. And my people, Yoruba people, culturally, the floor loom is not originally what we were using. And so I was also 
really grateful for Stephen Hamilton to, I would say that his workshop visit was like a prequel to my residency. I was able to get him to come down to North Carolina and teach a group of Black folks the upright weaving loom tradition. And he is a well of knowledge. Um, and so I think there's different assignments that I have in in my journey of weaving. And it involves both kind of learning the technical aspects of weaving when it comes to, you know, which loom do I want to use to do this thing? And then the more like cultural and spiritual sort of poetic elements of weaving that, you know, shape my approach and are shaping this pedagogy that I want to, you know, develop and be able to continue to share with people. But yeah, the the five-week group was, was really lovely in it. I intentionally, you know, chose this late winter time because, you know, folks are still in this sort of hibernation vibe and weaving is one of those textile practices and maybe all of them are kind of like this that um, can be deeply meditative and introspective and so it felt like a really good activity to organize people around you know and sort of each session we would you know set an intention and share stories. So I haven't talked much about that, but I do feel like um, just, yeah, the the craft of storytelling and stories gets so activated through weaving. And um, that was a major highlight for me. I think every session, something new came out from folks just around like what weaving was sort of activating in their memory that it's this it has this like way of like awakening the spirit I don't know and it's not everyone's textile craft of choice which is funny I feel like there's you know for some folks weaving is just not it (laughs) because it takes so long you know to make the warp and it, it is labor intensive but I don't know I guess I'm just drawn to like tedious labor intensive things to be honest like I mentioned at the beginning, it's just interesting how like the woven pattern is everywhere in in our daily lives and is so significant and like keeps a lot of our life together. And so I think also just having this appreciation of how much of my material reality is woven mm. um, is yeah, part of why I'm also drawn to this particular craft. And I also wanted to add before we move on, uh, Stefan Hamilton. So for people listening, if you also haven't listened to Stefan Hamilton's episode, it's amazing. It's episode 61. He speaks with Sarah and it's called Reclaiming, Weaving, Dying, and Wood Carving with Stefan Hamilton. And there are also images of the upright loom that you were talking about. Yes. Oh, amazing. And then also you mentioned um, Shaniqua, who was also on the podcast. Yes. 
And she was on episode 51. So if y'all haven't listened to that, it was also another amazing episode. And it was called Learn to Rest, Not to Quit. So I would highly suggest y'all check those episodes out as well. Oh my gosh. I'm like taking my notes over here too. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. And it was really cool to hear about all of the gatherings that you were having and it's also been nice to learn that you are working with people who are also gonna be a part of the just residency in the future yes it's you know such a beautiful full circle moment and I'm just so grateful that you exist as an artist and that you're creating these spaces and um I'm just you know so grateful that I've gotten to witness it and also that just could provide some support to the work that you know you've been doing and that I know that you're going to continue to do um, I'm curious if you have any new projects that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners. Yes, yes. I would say they're like continuations of things. One long opera. Um, I'm not actually working on an opera, but <laughs> just one long lifetime of art. Um, yeah, so every summer I release a a mixtape that is a mix of beats that I've produced from different samples I've either collected or chopped up and some new folk songs that I've made up just being in relationship with the earth the earth be given songs y'all like if you're not listening start listening and you know I didn't get to go deep into this but deep listening and having like a a daily relationship and presence to sound is a huge part of my creative process whether or not I'm sharing it um but every sun every summer I release a mixtape and it's called Black Noise for Black August um and it is a sonic ode to the Black liberation spirit of Black August and some of the proceeds that I get from selling the mixtape, a percent of them goes to uh, Prison Radio, which is a really awesome radio project to record and archive the writings, thoughts, and speeches of different political prisoners. And then a couple other Black liberation organizations that Sometimes I just decide that summer, but Prism Radio has been um, a project that I care a lot about and it feels right to kind of um, share the proceeds of this mixtape with that project. So definitely check that out. And um, I am in the process of slowly building out DADA textile farm and production studios. So this season, I'm mostly focusing on what it takes to become a kind of local textile production kind of hub. And it's a slow process because it requires many parts, but it's also been very satisfying to pursue and is part of this 
broader global movement to imagine relocalizing our fiber and textile systems in the same with the same kind of with the same kind of energy and resource that we give to localizing our food systems so as much as i get personal pleasure from this it's deeply rooted in a kind of collective liberation framework that um yeah i look forward to sharing with others so that is coming up and you know in between time something i cherish so much is just space and time to practice um and i feel like practice is what you know artists are doing most of the time and then you see the results of their practice so i'm wanting to make more time for practice and study and inspiration um and time to just do nothing in particular and just let you know what i'm feeling inspired by work on my spirit and see what comes from there so that is what's next and then if you're interested in getting seasonal what i call news poems so different from a newsletter but similar to a newsletter just in a more poetic format um you can sign up for my news poem called ether and you'll hear from me at least once every season um whether it's about local things i'm doing or more like expansive ways for you to connect and get involved that is another way to stay in touch beautiful it's been really amazing to have you as a resident and also just to meet you and to be in conversation with you i think that you have such a beautifully rooted practice and spirit about yourself and i'm just so excited that artists like you exist and i can't wait to see how your project grows how your farm grows how your everything grows <laughs> and um you know you've <laughs> supplied us with lots of jewels and gems but I'm wondering if you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts yes oh my gosh I I also want to just say thank you to, to you too LaShawn you've been an amazing steward of this project and have been such a lovely source of encouragement and yeah permission to just really design the experience that I want to have so appreciate you and to to the weavers out there <laughs> um like what's up we doing it and I think I mentioned this earlier but I want to come back to something that I say to myself anytime I get caught up in um, perfection or feeling like my weavings, the things I create need to look a certain way or meet some other standard outside of myself, that it's not about perfection, but expression. So when you center just what truly 
you're feeling inspired by, how it comes out will always be just what is needed. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap. If you're interested in reading a full transcript of this week's episode or to see images and find links to Ade's work, as well as the artists and projects we mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 147. As always, it's such an honor to bring these conversations to this platform. I am so grateful for your continued support. I hope you all have a lovely spring season and move peacefully into the summer. Until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.